Hi, I'm John Hendren, and this is episode three of BachCast. In this episode, we're looking at Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 2 by Johann Sebastian Bach, known in the catalog as BWV 1047. And this is a continuation of our look at all of the Brandenburg Concertos. Bach's Brandenburg Concertos were so named because they were discovered as a type of job resume that we believe Bach had sent to the Margrave of Brandenburg. Um, he basically mailed six of these very diversely scored concertos. Uh, they were put into the Margrave's catalog. We don't know if they were ever performed there. And that's where they were discovered when they were cleaning up house and throwing away some music. We discovered in Bach's autograph hand uh, these six concertos. And so it's kind of a stroke of luck that we got them that way, right? So the opening you just heard was from the second movement, and our our featured recording this time is the collection of six Brandenburgs as recorded by Concerto Italiano, um, the director Ronaldo Alessandrini. And this came out a number of years ago. It's not that old. And it appeared on the Naive label. And if you if you purchased it as CDs, it also came with a DVD, which I think was kind of interesting, which I did. And it has the conductor um, talking a little bit about the concertos and his approach. And uh, you get some video of the ensemble playing. And I really, I really like some of the readings. It doesn't end up being my favorite, altogether favorite set. But... I decided to feature this concerto because of its kind of its complexity. Um, Bach wrote this, and we don't know if he actually performed it this way, right? Um, but he wrote it for a, kind of an interesting set of instruments. The violin is one of the soloists. We have oboe, we have recorder, and then the odd one in there is, is the trumpet. Um, the trumpet in box time was not a valve trumpet, and so just like with a horn, uh, it, it presented some challenges. And its part is written very high, so there's a lot of dexterity required. When I was growing up, um, when I was learning about this piece in elementary school, I remember they, they talked about how Bach had written it for the piccolo trumpet, uh, a modern incarnation of, of a trumpet to play high parts. and uh, that always stuck with me, and then, then when I learned that that actually wasn't true, that Bach never knew of what a, a piccolo trumpet was, it was kind of interesting to me. So the problem with these instruments is a trumpet's kind of loud, and a recorder's kind of soft, and a violin and oboe are more or less kind of on the equal playing field, so you've got the, these this volume issue with your soloists. And he puts these instruments together. Uh, the opening movement's very famous, you probably heard it before, um, although I think the real gem of the of the concerto is the second movement, which of which we just heard an excerpt, which does not use the trumpet. Uh, the, he does not try to write uh, melodic lines with the trumpet. Um, but let's listen to the beginning. Um, what do you think of when you hear this? What do you think about the combination of, of the instruments? 
And more importantly, how well does the ensemble kind of tackle this this pragmatic issue of, of balancing all the different parts? So Bach's doing some interesting things here. He has his theme. And then he gives kind of the opportunity for each of the instruments to come to the forefront and, and kind of come out in the limelight. And you have to understand this is a concerto grosso. Um, a concerto is basically a, a multi-movement piece of music that typically has a soloist, although all concertos in Baroque time did not. There were some concertos for strings, for instance, by Vivaldi, that were had no specific soloist indicated. But these concerti grosso, uh, grossi, would have this little group of soloists that would emerge from the main texture, and they had specific Italian names to describe these. Um, if you think of a classic example of the Concerto Grosso, it would be maybe Arcangelo Corelli's uh, Opus 6 collection. And in his case, he, he didn't have a lot of color. Uh, he had string instruments kind of emerging. So your first violin might come out, or your cello might come out, and they would come out of that texture of maybe having three or four cellos, and then the, the, the first chair of cello would, would come out and play the solo piece. Well, in, the, in this case, um, it's not a concerto for oboe and violin in the, in the kind of way that Telemann would write, whereas those were the bona fide solo instruments. But instead, Bach has this little re-piano group. Um, uh, excuse me, concertino group. I'm confusing my concerto terms here. A concertino, the, the little little group. Um, would would come out of the woodwork and kind of do their their part. So that's what we hear there, and I think this group does a pretty good job. If if not them themselves, it's their mixing, uh, their buddies who are making the recording. But everything kind of melds together very well. The kind of interesting thing for me in comparing different recordings is how fast and how light they do it. And I think they do it so well. There's a, there's at one point in that excerpt where the trumpet comes in, it slows them down just a hair, uh, but it's you know they start off fast and they're they're very light. I'm going to give you a little comparison. I'm going to play for you the same music as performed by Trevor Pinnock and the English Concert. Now this recording came out, I believe, in '81 on the the. Uh, DG Archive production label. It was my one of the first recordings I ever bought, and it was it's probably one of the most um, popular historically informed performance practice recordings of Bach's Brandenburg and Chairs. It's it's been named a uh, you know 
as a as a best example. It's been out for uh, a ton of time, and they still sell it. So, um, just give you a comparison of what I'm trying to think here. Maybe 25, 28, 29 years does in terms of performance practice, and uh, I think the speed will astonish you. You know, I'll concur with you that the recording still um, kind of works. It was um, very well put together. Uh, some of the, you know, on violin they had Simon Standage, they had uh, David Reichenberg on the oboe. Um, I think Michael Laird was the trumpet player. But these these were like, you know, some of the early British uh, early music people had come together and. Um, really did a good job and you you take this more modern recording by Concerto Italiano and you see what what the little speed does to it and a little bit of lightness to the texture um, you know in Pinnock's version it's kind of like this there's this mechanical machine in the background and all that harpsichord is, is really brought out in the recording which if you've heard a, a Baroque ensemble live uh, you typically don't hear the harpsichord that prominently and it took me years to figure out why when I was going to a live concert, why I couldn't hear the harpsichord. And it's, you know, there's something to be said about the harpsichordist being the conductor and the conductor being heard in the mix. The other thing that's obvious to me in, in listening to that, and, and probably probably for the Concerto Italiano too, is, is, the, is the, the trumpet is, is kept at bay. And there's a couple ways you can do that. You can play into the stand, you can, you can play... Uh, you can you're positioned further back. That's that's what the Academy of Ancient Music did when they performed live. Is is the trumpet players were kind of often to the side. Um, of course, you have the expertise of the players, not just belting it out. And, and you really can't belt this one out because it's it's high and there's there's a lot of precision required by um, by hitting all those notes with your lips. And it's a notoriously difficult thing to get right. And so if you hear a modern uh, performance of this and the trumpet player doesn't you know flub the notes you got to give him some kudos because it, it's 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 very difficult uh which brings up a lot about you know what did this music sound like at the time was was there a trumpet player that could, that could actually play this well and we knew we know there's some star instrumentalists from the broke period they they are documented um but it makes you wonder if this was your calling card and you're sending this to somebody and, you know, an orchestra leaders looking at this and saying, you know, what, what kind of trumpet player do we need to play this? Did it, did it, did it say something about um, uh, Bach in a negative sense because he wrote this demanding part? Well, the second movement doesn't have the trumpet. And to me, it's, it's as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a real gem. I've already played a portion of this at the beginning. I'm going to go back to Concerto Italiano's reading, and I'm going to get towards towards the end of it, um, and then I'm just going to let it go into the third movement. 
The third movement, as you might expect, knowing Bach by now a little bit, he does a fugue. And so you're going to hear the theme uh, appear in the different instruments, and then we'll, we'll kind of fade out from there. So I didn't mention this earlier, but this is a three-movement concerto, a little more standard perhaps than, than what we explored number one. Um, and again, it's an example of a concerto grosso, and the instruments again, oboe, recorder, violin, trumpet. Interesting combination. Makes us wonder why Bach combined those. Um, but we'll probably never know. There's lots of conjecture, by the way, about um, you know, is, can we read some things in these concertos? Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later because when we get to number four, I think there's a very compelling story that, that's possibly applied to that one. So after each instrument has its part coming in with the theme, um, we call those entr fugal entrances, and then there's these little episodes that can happen. And they're kind of buffer zones, you will, between uh, the theme coming in. If you just had the theme, the theme, the theme, the theme, it, it might get old. And so it's kind of a standard form of a fugue. We have different voices coming in, it's easy to pick out because they're different different instruments which have different sound qualities and, and flavors, if you will. And then they, they do a few things, uh, play a few extra notes, and there's a bridge to where the theme returns. And that's where we kind of edit things. So it's it's an energetic piece. Uh, it's, it's a toe tapper. And it's kind of another way for Bach to show off uh, his art as a as a fugal writer, but also his art uh, of orchestration, uh, of highlighting different uh, instrumental timbres, and having them kind of come together as this little concertino um, group of soloists to play. So Brandenburg number two, probably best known for the opening and third movements, they're fast. And if you didn't know, uh, it was not written for the piccolo trumpet, although if it's played on modern instruments, typically you'll hear it on the piccolo trumpet, which has that high range. Uh, it's still difficult, but a little easier on a modern instrument with, with valves <laughs> that to help you with those notes. Um, and the ensemble that we featured today was Concerto Italiano, and they their recording appears on the Naive label. It's got an interesting cover. It's got a parking garage with a, a, a deer with uh, some sizable antlers looking out a window. I'm not sure what the metaphor is there or if there is a metaphor, but uh, 
it makes it for some interesting artwork. It, it's arresting if you see it on a shelf. And their reading uh, was done for the Naive label. They also include in this set uh, a couple of bonuses, if you will. And I'm actually going to steal a look back over here. And you're going to hear me clicking a little bit. So a couple bonuses in this, in this collection. At the end of the first CD, they include um, uh, Symphonia from Cantata 174, which reuses part of Brandenburg Concerto Number Three. So you kind of hear what Bach did with a reorchestration of one of these concertos. And then in the um, in the fifth concerto. Um, they've included um, an additional track highlighting the harpsichord cadenza in that one, and then uh, and then the CD closes with with the sixth and final concerto. So we've been listening to BWV one thousand forty seven. I want to thank you for listening. Hopefully, you have learned something or at least got a deeper appreciation of a little bit behind Bach's second Brandenburg Concerto. Thanks for listening. My name is John Hendren.